It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. A focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, a weekly podcast on mental health issues brought to you by Metro.co.uk. My name is Yvette. And so is mine. Not actually, I'm still Ellen. If you're loving the vibes, subscribe to Mentally Yours on iTunes. You can listen to all of the episodes we've made so far and more of Ellen's hilarious jokes. I actually re-listened to the one we did a while back on PTSD. You'll notice I'm pretty bad with eye contact. I can do it if I need to, but I think just instinctively I avoid eye contact just to not reveal anything. And I also avoid big crowds. I, I have a natural, like, um, sensitivity to sound. That was Faris, episode two on iTunes, all about PTSD. Our guest this week is the journalist, author, and former professional fairy. Round of applause, everyone, for Kate Lieber. I've got bipolar one. What kind have you got? Bipolar one as well. Yay! High five! Let the record show we high-fived across the table. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, for those who sort of are listening and don't know, there's there's several kinds, basically. There's bipolar one, where you have manic episodes and quite severe depressive episodes. There's bipolar two, where it's kind of like that, but not as extreme, both bits. Um, There's also, I'm going to pronounce it wrong now, cyclothymic. Um, and there's also mixed states. Um, what, are, yeah. what are those two? So mixed state does sound pretty awful. It's sort of, um, I think mixed state is more depressive episodes, and then, but, but also with psychosis, I think that's right. Mm. I'd, yeah, I would, I would say that's correct. In my understanding, I'd say that's what it is. I'm not, I wouldn't like to say about psychothymic. Because you're not sure. No. Yeah, I've never, honestly never heard I of either think, of them. I think if I'm correct that the cyclothymic one is a more rapid alternating between the two states okay mm-hmm. so i think whereas usually um when you have bipolar and you have say a depressive episode that lasts days or weeks or months mm. uh, and the same with a manic episode i think cyclothymic is where you have perhaps that same alternation but happens in a day oh, okay oh um and and less less severely yeah but yeah, more rapid. I think. I hope I'm correct in saying no, that. No, that sounds that sounds correct <laughs> from my very limited understanding. In your experience, how long do the manic and depressive periods last then? Um, God, it, it, any amount of time, sadly. Um, I've been going through one recently. Um, a depressive episode that's probably lasted about five or six weeks, um, which has been deeply unpleasant. I've had shorter ones, um, gratefully, and I've had far longer ones. Um, I've been dealing with with bipolar for probably about 11, 12 years now. Um, Well, that's how long I've been diagnosed as having bipolar. I suppose there was a a previous time to that when I was just struggling without the label. Um, And throughout that time, yeah, episodes can very much vary in length, Um, which, you know, keeps you guessing. Mm. It keeps you on your toes. (laughs) Yeah. For me, it sort of feels like it's always sort of gradually on the up or, or the down. So like the um, the manic episodes, it's hard to judge because obviously at the time you're not really, you're not thinking about how long they're going on for. But I think for me, like the manic episodes have, have maybe been 
a couple of weeks at most, and then quite an extreme drop afterwards. Mm. And then, yeah, depression tends to go on for longer, and then it will sort of go down and sort of gradually climb up, and then, yeah. But it's it's hard to know now because I'm on mood stabilizers, so it's mm. sort of. I tend to find a mood stabilizers. I'll feel the depression still, but um, yeah, I haven't gone manic for a bit. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> which, is lo- which is lovely. Yeah. I, I'm much the same. I kind of um, the main manifestation of it, I guess, is is just severe depression, mm. um, which is again deeply unpleasant, but quite nice to have the relief of not having the manic um, episodes because of the the mood stabilizers that I am also on. Mm. What kind of behavior and feelings were you doing when you were in the manic periods? Um, Great question and um, this is one that a lot of people like to ask both medical professionals and just curious human beings um, because it is something quite fascinating I I think. Um, My manic episodes were never um, disastrous in terms of of particularly outlandish behavior so some people become very promiscuous sexually um, or spend a lot of money that they don't have or kind of damage relationships with behavior that is very out of character. Um, Thankfully, I've not kind of done any of those things in my time, which may have been purely circumstantial because I was kind of a teenager in my young 20s when um, my my manic episodes happened. Um, But for me, the way it manifested was more just kind of very, very rapid speech, rapid thoughts, not needing any sleep, um, being able to function on kind of very little sustenance, um, kind of a a slight loss of touch with reality, Mm -hmm. um, which you would call psychosis um for instance i was once in melbourne at the melbourne comedy festival and there was um a bunch of like trucks and um big construction type things going on in the in the road down the um below where i was staying and i became like irrationally paranoid about them as though they somehow signified the end of the world or would harm me in some way um and that was kind of one of my manic episodes where i got these ideas that were slightly as i say yeah not exactly realistic. Um, so whenever I think of a manic episode, the type that I had, I always think of Robin Williams and the way he used to perform, the way he okay. couldn't keep up with his own thoughts. Yeah. Um, and just all the words came out at once and all the stories kind of segued really crazily. Um, I kind of felt as though I was having a Robin Williams moment where you just can't get all your grandiose, amazing ideas out at once. Which sounds like fun, but it's, yeah, it's but not it's that not, great. It's not going to be great for the person experiencing it, I'm no, sure. I mean, I, I kind of, uh, in a really ter- in my terrible moments, kind of miss it because it was thrilling, but my life is certainly better without having, you know, veered towards the top of an emotion and then have to have the fallout afterwards. Mm. Is that similar for you, Yvette? Um Weirdly, like, I kind of remember at one point sort of sitting in a car and just feeling like everything was twinkly around me, which... Which is hard to do. Yeah, (laughs) the visual stuff changes. I've had that as well. Um, Almost like I was sort of in a Disney film. It's really weird. Um, At one point when I was a student, I sort of had gone off into a manic phase and I went out and I ended up sleeping on the street. And I think, I don't know, I think that the idea was to sort of see what it was like, but I don't really know because I don't think it was, it wasn't that joined together. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, oh, I've read... George Orwell and I want to see what it's like. I think it was just I was out randomly on the street, sort of literally, oh God, 
I'm amazed I didn't get arrested or something, just like wandering around singing. And then I decided, oh, I'll just try sleeping on the street. One of my first psychiatrists that I went to see, who incidentally was um, an, a rather old Australian man who I don't think had ever communicated with a young person before, <laughs> um, and certainly <laughs> hadn't kind of Googled like new treatment for bipolar disorder in at least a decade. So had me on some very um, awful kind of old fashioned pills. But, um, the one piece of advice I remember from him is he said, do not make any major life decisions when you're up or down. Mm. Um, and somehow that kind of filtered through to me on a number of occasions when I was, you know, about to do exactly that, about to break up with a boyfriend. Um, and I think love is particularly difficult when you're up or you're down. Um, and I guess because the majority of my experience has been with the down periods, I think it's really difficult to be, to feel as though you're capable of love um, when you're depressed. And I think it's really, and I can understand why when you're manic, why you would break up with someone because you're not thinking rationally and you're not necessarily entirely capable of taking into account another human being and their wants and needs and desires and their existence mm. um, and I can see how how you would do that and how devastating it is and I think everything you just mentioned is really interesting because my instinct then and you probably even heard it was to laugh at some of the things you said because oh, they're yeah. outlandish but so much of that behavior can be so dangerous I mean you kind of you're either laughing or crying, so it is okay to laugh at some yeah, of these, laughing some is those fine. things. No, I have to laugh about it now, but yeah, I mean, it's but it must have been really distance. scary. Yeah, we haven't really talked about um, how it all how it all started for mm. you. Like, when was the first time you realised that you had mental health issues? Um, well, I um, I had kind of uh, I saw my first psychiatrist when I was about twelve years old. And she told me to stop watching the news because I was too frail and too worried about the world events uh, to take it. And that was uh, a strange thing. How, um, how did you start going to a therapist at 12? Was that because you were feeling very anxious about yeah, stuff? Yeah, I, um, I had kind of like a chronic fatigue type situation oh, after okay. a bad bout of glandular fever. Yeah. So I was missing a lot of school and that kind of snowballed into some um, bad mood situations. And I guess throughout my teens, um, I had a kind of a depression that was assumed to be part of my sort of low energy situation. Um, and it was kind of, I was diagnosed by my adorable and wonderful family GP back home in Sydney um, as having depression, but both she and my mother kind of kept saying, I think there's something more to it because Katie seems to have either an, like a, a, a very serious on or off switch um, emotionally, she seems to be kind of ready for the world and galvanized to do anything um, and full of energy and really kind of hyper um, or just not capable of participating in her own life um, or any activities to do with that. Um, and so we sort of investigated the option of bipolar and went to this aforementioned old man, um, a psychiatrist, who was able to diagnose me with bipolar disorder. So um, that happened and that made sense of some of my behavior throughout my teens. Um, I'd also had anorexia, which kind of played into the mix just in case I got bored. Um, so, and then since then I've kind of been on trying various different medications. Um, I've been quite resistant to treatment in a lot of ways and tried most of the medications on the market. Um, and, you know, seeing therapists and making sure I have a really good mental health team 
Um, I have a great psychiatrist back in Australia who I still Skype with. And I finally found one on the NHS after waiting a while. Amazing. How um, long did you have to wait? Quite a while. I, yeah. I, I, moved, I moved house, which kind of means I can't record one waiting period. Yeah. Um, but in terms of getting in to see anyone helpful, it was quite a while. So, yeah, I think my, my journey of since my diagnosis has been about 12 years. But prior to that, there was kind of some as I think happens with most people with bipolar, some period of time when it's assumed that it's just depression. Yeah. Um, I think a vast majority of people are misdiagnosed with just depression. Um, I think I read, and I think I read uh, one time that the average period it takes to actually be diagnosed correctly with bipolar disorder is 10 years. Um, when you what? think about that, I mean, for me it was happening at a formative time when I was a teenager and I had some other things going on and we were already dealing with the idea of me being depressed, so it wasn't catastrophic. But if you think about that happening to an adult or mm. a young adult who's kind of, you know, in the fledgling period of their adulthood, it could be a really dangerous thing to yeah. be misdiagnosed and to have to wait that long to have a correct label to work with. Mm. Um, so that's that's my story essentially, and I, I, um, I, yeah, I'm kind of struggling at the moment, I have to say, but had a period of at least a year before then where I was quite stable for that whole period, which was delightful. Um, I kind of felt as though I had normal, a normal, I hesitate to use the word normal, but a, an average person's access to human emotion and um, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing, <laughs> um, which was nice. Was that thanks to medication or? Yes, some lovely, a lovely mood stabilizer that I discovered. And then did it kind of just stop working? Or? Yeah, my antidepressant stopped working quite recently, which apparently yeah. can happen. Um, Were you on it for just a while? Because hmm. I've been told by my therapist yeah. that can happen too. Yeah, I think yeah. I was on it about three years and then apparently the one I'm on had a, a quote unquote conk out effect. Oh yeah, I was going to say conk out. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what they said to me yeah that's yeah, really scary i didn't think mm. that things could just kind of run out and yeah. stop. well i think maybe your body kind of gets tolerant to it or yeah. something yeah, yeah. The th i mean the thing is that i find increasingly uh fascinating and also terrifying in turn is that psych psychiatric treatment uh is not something we know a lot about mm. and when i say we i don't just mean patients i mean psychiatrists yeah. i mean there are times and i have this wonderful as i say psychiatrist that i deal with um and i respect his opinion on everything but there are so many times when i'll say what about this or why is this happening or i don't know how can my antidepressants just stop working and he kind of shrugs his shoulders and goes you know what like bug it if i know we just we there's so much we don't know about the human brain and the chemistry and it could just be that there's something to do with the changing chemistry of your body and or your home hormones or the interplay of all sorts of different things that we can't really regulate um and at best we've got an educated guess as to why some things work and why others don't oh or why things might stop working when they once did mm. um so it's interesting to be in this area where it is a science, but it's also an art prescribing yeah. medication for someone because you are kind of trying to guess in a highly educated way. Like trial and uh, error. Trial kind of and error, yeah. Which is, um, I mean, it's it's both appalling and understandable yeah. um, that we know so little and that we sort of invest so much money and time and hope into these medications that have such an unpredictable effect on people. Um, and that can be kind of 
can be scary and also just uh, inconvenient. Mm. I think there does need to be a lot more research, though, into mental health medication and treatment in general. I can't remember the statistic off the top of my head, but compared to the amount of research that um, cancer treatments get, mental health treatments is pretty, mm. pretty poor mm. comparatively. I am an huge advocate of medication. I mean, that's why I'm coming on a podcast right now and speaking so openly about it because I think there are people who hide that they're on medication or are too scared to go on medication for various reasons. And mm. I don't, of course, don't mean to be alarmist about it and would never want anyone to be scared of going on medication because it is a godsend mm. um, and, and literally the kind of thing that keeps you alive. It's a life or death situation whether or not you go on medication in a lot of cases um, I think it's also just worth talking about the kind of shortfalls of it in terms of research and in terms of how good the options are because I think they could certainly be a lot better yeah um, but as it is with what we have to work with now god everyone go on it that needs it <laughs> I think also it's helpful to know that sometimes one pill might not work but another might or you yeah. know something may stop working but there are still other options yeah I think that's helpful to know because I think a lot of people think okay I've been given antidepressants they didn't work so that's it it's like mm. no it might be a different Absolutely. like type or a brand or dosage yeah. I know of some people that sort of gone on antidepressants that felt sort of very sleepy or sort of like the two zombie-like almost, but mm. I think probably with them they've been on too high a dosage, or it's the wrong kind. Yeah. I'm on this one at the mo moment called Depakote, that's my general mood stabiliser. They're pink. The worst thing about it is that they're massive pills, mm. Oh yeah. so you have to really swallow them down. Yeah, yeah. I struggle with that with mine, because I usually, before I went on antidepressants, I just had my contraceptive pill, which is teeny tiny, tiny. <laughs> so you can just swallow it without drinking or anything. And actually consciously being like, okay, I have to make, you know, fill a tap of a cup of water. Because mm. I tried dry swallowing a few times and no. it oh, almost no, choked I and, you know, was not a great idea. No, I've I learned couldn't now. do that yes. with, with the water. Comparatively yeah. massive. I think all, maybe all mental health medication is massive. I don't know though. I haven't heard of anyone taking tiny no, mental true. health pills. No, not sure why that is. Well, well we, we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really very angry about this shit. So, one of the things that I'm angry about this week is, um, well, I thought I'd just be angry at myself, basically, um, for not prioritising mental health over other things. What have you done? <laughs> <laughs> How have you messed up? <laughs> Not specifically. I mean, I just think if I look back now, because from being on this show and sort of talking about mental health more, that where my mental health generally is, is so low down my priorities. Like I'll, um, I'll work really hard or I'll sort of go to friends things on a weekend when I really just need to rest and just recover for a bit. Or I'll just basically just throw everything I have at something. It's, um, yeah. I think because we talk a lot about, you know, bloody NHS, they're useless, they don't have the resources, and they don't. Um, they don't. <laughs> they really don't. Um, and obviously, we sort of, there needs to be more research into mental health, but then that would be great. But also, um, if you're kind of managing a long term mental health condition, I'm not talking about sort of when you're in a crisis point, that would be ridiculous, but when you're managing a long term health condition, maybe. Um, you do need to sort of take more responsibility of your own mental health and sort of so if you're in a position where you can think actually I need to work less or actually I need to see a therapist or actually I need to prioritize some things over some other things 
then um, you need to do that really. I think it's really easy to kind of do stupid things when it comes to your mental health. Like I put off phone calls that I know I really should make to sort things out or I'll take on extra work or I'll do social things that you know, maybe might not be the best for me. Mm. Or um, I'll drink at social events. Drink at social events. That's a classic one yeah, as well. Yeah, that's a classic one because I'm not really meant to drink with my medication anyway. But, you know, there'll always be those sort of times when you're out and there'll always be people going, oh, you know, just have a drink. Yeah. And then you'll just be like, oh, yeah, all right then. But actually, no, that's not good for your mental health. So Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, I think the thing is, even without mental health or mental illness, you do stupid things that are bad for you all the time. Like, we're only human, and we don't always do what's best for us. I think it's no different for people with mental illness. Like, I'm going to do stupid things where I don't get enough sleep or I don't have enough time for myself to do, like, scheduled relaxation time, which I try to do weekly, but I haven't done in ages. And that's normal, and I shouldn't... I don't think we should beat ourselves up for that. No. But I think we should be aware of it and aware of how important those things are for us to do. Yeah. One of the things that my mum's always said to me is that um, nothing's as important as your health. And when I was younger, I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. But it's true. But it is actually quite true. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, we say it with our bodies now as well. It's like, that's the only body you get. Mm. But it's the same for your brain as well. That yeah. is the only brain you get. And you mm. have to look after it. Until they can grow them in jars and yes, stuff. Yes, which will happen really soon. Yeah, but, definitely. You know, just in case that doesn't. Stupid crap, my brain has told me. That's boy and a stupid thing my brain has told me not at 4am but just in recent weeks is just you seem fine why don't you stop taking medication which is a very stupid crap thought because mm. clearly if you're doing well on medication you should probably stay on it yeah but yeah I have had when was it? it was a while back now where I hadn't been able to organize a GP appointment so I knew I was running low so I was just like oh I just won't take it for like a week and a half or I'll just do like every other day which is not responsible thinking but my brain just told me that it was a perfectly reasonable safe thing to do which kind of links into what you were saying earlier about being angry at yourself we were making bad decisions for your own mental health yeah that's the thing about sort of medication for mental health it sort of tends to be a long-term thing um, you can't just sort of take it for kind of a week or so so you do have to give give it a bit of time generally and yeah I think I think that's a fairly common thing to go yeah. through though um, especially with sort of things like depression or well when actually know anything I think it's very common for people to think oh yeah I feel better now so I'll stop but actually it's just you know give your body a bit of time to kind of you know get used to it and then yeah it's not a smart idea in general. But no, um, and also just generally like coming on and coming off medication. Yeah. If you were to sort of be on it a while and decide that you actually maybe didn't need it, um, an important thing to think is tapering it off if you do decide to do that and working with your GP on that sort of thing. The worst thing you can possibly do is to mm. suddenly come off medication because that's been, you know, that's just a recipe for disaster. I think as well it's important to kind of give your trust to a professional and know that you're not, like this is going to sound harsh, I'm not so smart that I know what's best for me medication-wise. Like I shouldn't assume like, well, I know that I don't need to take it. Mm. If a doctor is saying, no, take it for a while longer, I probably should. And I shouldn't listen to my brain at 4am that says, 
You don't need those pills. You're fine. Mm. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally If you've suffered from any of the issues discussed on today's podcast, please get in touch with the Samaritans at samaritans.org or call them on 116-123. Also, please follow us on Twitter at Mentally Yours with Y-R-S at the end. Thanks to our guest Kate Weaver for joining us here in Bills. Our producer is Sam Bonham with Lucy Baker on the tunes. Next week we'll be talking to Emily Reynolds, journalist and author of A Beginner's Guide to Losing Your Mind. See you next week!